dreams of our culture, and we believe the church is meant to be the interpreter of these dreams. As we dive into these stories embedded in movies over the next four weeks, we believe that you will be further drawn into God's story. Dunkirk is one of the greatest rescue stories in modern history, certainly one of the greatest rescue stories in war history. In 1940, British soldiers were committed to defending France, almost their entire standing army, and they underestimated the Nazi forces, they underestimated the Nazi, Nazi uh, strategy of Blitzkrieg and how fast they could move, and they overwhelmed both the British and French forces, and they trapped almost the entire British army on the beach of Dunkirk. 400,000 soldiers stranded on a beach with no hope. Sitting ducks for the German Luftwaffe in their Stuka planes diving, strafing the beaches. This next clip illustrates the hopelessness of this situation, and it's tough to watch, but it's necessary for us to watch to gather how they must have felt in those moments. It was a desperate hour, not only for the lives of the men on that beach, but also for England itself, because if all of these men would have been destroyed, they had no way to defend themselves against Nazi Germany. All hope seemed lost. This movie won three Academy Awards. It was nominated for many more. It stayed on the box office top list for four weeks in a row. Why? Well, it's a rescue story. It's a grand rescue story. And rescue stories speak to our soul. 
they echo with inside of us something that we desire for, for everyone, for ourselves especially. And so whether you're a believer or whether you're a non-believer, we're all drawn in to rescue stories. Last month, we seemed like the world seemed to be focused in on 12 boys, a soccer team and their coach trapped in a cave in Thailand. It seemed as if the whole world was watching and waiting and hoping and praying for their rescue. And so rescue stories speak into our existence because every person is created by God with the image of God impressed upon their spiritual DNA, their soul. And so we want life to, uh, to be saved. We want life to be rescued. I hate the loss of life. Uh, I have these hanging plants on the front of my house. And these two great big like wandering Jew plants, they're coming down. And I had no idea that birds make their nests in hanging plants. I had no idea. And so I have one of these long water wands, you know. And I was filling up the water and I heard these these birds fly out of there. They scared me. I scared them. You know, I, I guess they're probably in there napping and the shower comes on, right? And one of them flies into the house, I guess broke his neck and died right there. And I was like, first thing I did is I looked up to heaven and I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know, right? And I had to scoop that thing up, you know, and carry it off. And, you know, I didn't give it a burial. Maybe I should. But I mean, I don't know if you're that kind of person, but I certainly don't want to see the needless loss of life. Now, if I was going to eat it, that'd be a different story. But, uh, I mean, it's hard to eat a bird that big. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, we just, we value life, don't we? And we want to see life sustained and rescued and spared uh, disaster. And so every rescue story echoes into your heart, my heart. Now... Every rescue story has at least four parts. There's four basic parts to a rescue story. There's a hopeless situation, right? There's an unlikely hero. There's difficult obstacles. And then there's the rescue itself. Now, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, I encourage you to write this down. It's, it's on the front of your bulletin if you want to fill in the blanks, but... This is a way to tell the gospel story. This is a way to tell the great, about the greatest rescue story of all time. There are four parts in this rescue story. Now, every rescue story begins with a hopeless situation. For the soldiers at Dunkirk, it was on that beachhead with no way out. Only 25 miles from home, and there they are, trapped by an ocean. For you, it might be a doctor's diagnosis. Your hopeless situation might be divorce papers, or it might be the birth of a child with severe disability. For, for the Parker family, you know, we're taking up some gifts for them and for their foundation. Uh, they had no idea that their daughter Claire was going to die of a form of leukemia. And so all of us face these hopeless situations. You might be trapped on a beachhead, right? Like the soldiers were trapped on that beach. 
Maybe your beach is a hopeless relationship, uh, an, an, an unforeseen event, uh, a situation that you never saw coming, like, uh-oh, now what? How am I going to handle this? Maybe your beach is depression, anxiety, just feeling overwhelmed all the time because life seems to be overwhelming and like you're looking for a rescue, right? Maybe your uh, beachhead is grief. You're still grieving the loss of a child and you're just overwhelmed with those emotions and you feel trapped in, in this sadness that just seems to never... You feel trapped on a beachhead somewhere in life. Now, I have good news. You want to hear some good news? You're going to hear it today. Because the greatest rescue story of all time is found in God's Word, what we call the Bible. And today we're going to retell part of this story from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Here's our hopeless situation in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The prince of this world is Satan. And he is employed and conscripted uh, men and women into his armed forces to destroy mankind. They are the evil, disobedient people. And they have uh, promoted lifestyles of destruction. They have promoted ways of entertainment to destroy people and trap people. They have propped up uh, lies and philosophies about life and worldviews that are not true that are destroying people and leaving them stranded on a beach. Certain destruction is the only outcome if people follow the ways of this world. Like Nazi Germany is dive-bombing those soldiers stranded on that beach, Satan and his forces, men and women and philosophies, are, are destroying lives. And whether you realize this or not, all of us are, are caught in this spiritual battle. There is no escape. If you're, all, if you're alive and breathing, you are in this battle. And you're either being rescued or you're being destroyed. It's really that simple. Paul goes on to say, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following, the desires and, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, this beachhead we weren't forced on. Most of us walked on to it willingly. Paul says that he says all of us, all of us have some responsibility in this. All of us uh, uh, have ha, have allowed the world to influence us on the way to live. Eugene Peterson, he has a version of scripture called the Message Bible, and I just want to read part of what how he translates this passage. He says. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. And then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us. Felt like doing what we wanted to do. I mean, think about what he's saying here. And it's so true. Sometimes we walk on this beachhead by choice. Or we allow ourselves to be driven there. 
And we've allowed the media and talking heads tell us how to live rather than the Scripture. You see, all of us come to this moment in life, hopefully all of us come to this moment in life, where we get to make a choice. And this is one of the most difficult choices anyone ever has to make. We have to say, I will submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to bend the knee to His will. And here's what we say inside of our head from Scripture. We say, I want you to tell me how to live. I want you to tell me how to handle my monies. I want you to tell me how to handle my sexual life. I want you to tell me how to handle forgiveness. And we are submitting to the Lord of the universe rather than the prince of this world. Or we can say, yeah, I'm going to let the world and my friends and, you know, the latest whatever tell me how to handle this. And that will only lead to destruction if it's not based on Scripture and God's Word. Paul says, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, you have an advantage over the first audience of this uh, letter. You grew up in a Christian world. If you grew up in America, you grew up in a very Christian world. You grew up where there was church on every corner, probably, and there were people who talked about Jesus, and you probably had some understanding that there was a thing called the Bible, right? But this audience, they grew up in a world that didn't have that hope. These Gentiles, these who, people who weren't Jews, they didn't even understand what it meant to follow the one and only God. We, we're in this hopeless situation. Paul outlines it in this text. He says we're spiritual dead because of our sin. We're following the ways of this world ruled by Satan. And we're separate from Christ with no hope. In Romans, Paul gives a Cliff Notes version of the text that we just read. It's Romans 3.23. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. Everybody who's come to an age of accountability has fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you believe this or not, all of us are on a beachhead like Dunkirk in a hopeless situation. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, listen, Jesus says, it is impossible for any person to save themselves. You can be the best Girl Scout, the best Boy Scout in the world. It will not save you. It will not remove you from that beachhead. All of us need outside help. All of us need outside help. Most of us fail to grasp the situation that we're facing until our physical life is threatened, right? Deathbed, deathbed confession, that kind of a thing. It's very frustrating when you're on this side of the cross, when, like when you're a Christian, when you're following Jesus, and you're trying to convince others of their need for Jesus and their need to follow him. It's very frustrating. You want them to know. And oftentimes, it's a crisis that gets our attention. As a matter of fact, most of the most, the most important things that we live, learn in life are learned through a crisis. Really? Yeah. I mean, think about it. The things that you've really learned. When did you learn to handle your money when you're grounding in debt, right? When did you learn to, hey, I need some help on my relationship skills with my spouse, so I'm going to go get help because we're, if we don't do something, divorce is certain. I need help with this addiction, so will someone step in and give me the tools and, and, and the encouragement to get out of this mess? Right? My friend Tom Postel, he was a preacher up in Ohio, 
And Tom was a, a mentor in my life, and I just thought the world of him. He was just, just he was a businessman, but he was a bivocational preacher, and he, he just, he just, he's just a good guy. He's passed away from cancer, but back in the early 90s, he was on uh, flight 232 from Denver to Chicago. As a businessman, he flew a lot, and this particular plane, fully loaded, uh, over 300 passenger on, passengers on this large plane, uh, lost all but one engine. On the, in the flight, in midair. And the only thing it could do was circle. And so it began to make these huge circles. Uh, they calculated a flight pattern that would take about four hours to complete, three or four hours to complete. It would make these huge circles until hopefully if they calculated everything right, that the uh, last circle that it, it could make would be an approach landing to an abandoned airstrip surrounded by cornfields. And so everybody on the plane knew that they were going to crash land. Tom's sitting in the middle of the plane. And he says, I know Jesus. Does anybody want to hear the gospel? Do you know how many people wanted to hear the gospel? All of them. There wasn't that other business guy going, hey, bring me another bottle of Jack. You know, that guy wasn't speaking up, right? Because alcohol doesn't fix our problems. It only masks them. Anyway, he begins to present the gospel, and as they get closer and closer to when they know they're going to crash land, he uh, has everyone hold hands who could hold hands, and then he begins to pray the Lord's Prayer, and many people prayed it with him, and he asked the Lord to protect them. And then they all got in their crouched positions as their plan approached uh, this crash landing. And they missed the airstrip by a little bit and slid through a cornfield. The plane broke in three pieces. Everybody on the front section died. Everybody in the back section died. In that middle section where Tom was, they all survived. Every one of them. And he's told his story on NBC and Phil Donahue and all kinds of places. And I am not saying that there were all the people on the front and the back were, were unrighteous. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there was a display of God's power to save in a hopeless situation. And Tom was able to proclaim the gospel on national television many times. And he gave all the glory to God for saving them. Why is it that before we bend the knee to ask for help to the only one who can pull us off the beachhead, we have to be facing death? Or like divorce or something terrible. You're hearing the gospel today. You're going to hear it preached very simply, I hope, and understandably. And you and I need to know that there is hope, but it's only found in Christ. And it only happens when we say, not my will, but your will be done. And so, for people who don't grasp, I don't know, preacher... Life's not too bad. I kind of got some things figured out. I have my own philosophy, worldview about life. This is how it's working for me. I don't know if it's that hopeless. Well, then how do you explain the guy that jumped in a plane a couple days ago and committed suicide by crash landing it? Like, why are people killing themselves? Why are people willingly getting involved in lifestyles of destruction and killing themselves? There's only one explanation. There is a prince of this world who is hell-bent on destroying every life possible. 
But there is a God of the universe who's Lord over all, if we will submit to him, who has a rescue plan, and he has created the church, and we are part of that solution, part of that rescue operation. And so you and I are involved in a life and death struggle every day. We need to wake up. I know your golf time's coming up. I know you got to drop the kids off at soccer practice. I know you got to go do whatever. We all have those little things, but don't let the minutia of life rob us from the mission. And so there's an enemy, and sometimes he's visible, and sometimes he's not. And our world is suffering from a satanic influence that there's no hope of escape unless we have outside help. Next in our rescue story comes the unlikely hero. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. That's a big rich, right? Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Rich in mercy. Whenever you hear someone, you parents might want to cue in on this. I just want to get what I deserve. You say, no, you don't. Because what you deserve is hell. Give me what I don't deserve, which is mercy and grace. That's what I don't deserve. That's what I want. And that's the only way out. Because I have broken God's law. I've not been forgiving. I've been lustful. I've desired things for myself. And stop stomping on anyone who got in my way of what I wanted. I mean, all of us have committed some sin. And once we commit sin, we're on the beachhead. And that's what Paul is saying. But God sends the most unlikely form of a rescuer. Like you couldn't figure it out. Like even if you had the whole universe and all the time in the world on your own to figure out the most unlikely way of rescuing, you'd never figure this out. And God does that. He sends a baby in a manger. Uh, Let me find a peasant family that has no power or influence. They can barely feed themselves. And then I'm going to have my son birthed in the lowest geographical place in the earth, below sea level, right, Bethlehem. And he's not going to be born in a house. He's going to be born in a cave where they keep animals. And right beside his crib is going to be a pile of poop. Yeah. That's my plan. Oh, that's your plan, God. Uh, I got a better one. Why don't you have him come in like on a jet, right? And he just lowers down and there's lights on and there's signs blaring. He said, this is the Savior, right? That would have been our plan, something like it, right? Uh, He'd have won like American Idol or something. And, you know, right when he wins, they're like, oh, and by the way, I have this story to tell you how I'm going to save the world. Like we'd have come up with that. But you couldn't have picked a more unlikely hero. The Jews... We're looking for a conquering king like David. No, nope, didn't happen. The Romans and the Greeks, the other part of that audience that Paul is writing to, their understanding of the gods of the pantheon uh, that, that they worshipped in all their temples all over Rome were gods who didn't care about mankind's problem. The, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, all they, all they did with people was had them serve their interests. Because they were gods of their own making. And that's what everybody wants. Without Jesus, we just want everyone to serve us. 
because the universe rotates around me. Right? And so it didn't make any sense that this is how God would rescue the world. In the movie Dunkirk, Churchill and his generals come up with the most unlikely plan to rescue 400 soldiers from certain death, Dynamo. Operation Dynamo. Where all these British civilians got into about 800 boats. One of those boats, I read about this this week, 14 feet long. Some of you people have canoes longer than 14 feet. And they sailed across the English Channel in rough seas and German submarines and planes around them. This is your success? This is how you're going to rescue these people? This is Operation Dynamo? Yep. Here's this small yacht sailing beside this warship that's headed home. And they're headed to the beachhead where bombs are being dropped and people are being destroyed. We love these stories of daring missions, unlikely stories that could ever possibly happen because we see the element of God in that. Whether we believe that or not, whether we believe in God or not, we see God's hand of mercy is the only way it could happen in this impossible situation. And these civilians at Dunkirk, they they loaded up in their small little boats and they began to cross that ocean. And who would have blamed them if they would have turned around and went back? Nobody, right? Because it seemed like impossible. As intriguing as that rescue mission is, God came up with even more intriguing rescue mission for us. And we're part of that. The greatest rescue mission of all. John puts it this way. God showed, his, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John is stunned. He's stunned. He's marveling. He repeats God's love three times just in this section. And then throughout, if you've ever read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I mean, the predominant phrase there is God's love, right? I mean, over and over again. 
He can hardly believe that God would go to these lengths in such an unlikely plan and be successful in making it happen because the odds of success are stacked against Jesus. He's so impressed that, that he keeps repeating himself like he's like, did you hear me? Wait a minute. Did you hear me? Wait a minute. Did you hear what I said, how God loved us, that he was willing to sacrifice his own son? I've got three daughters. I've got four grandchildren and one on the way. Five grandchildren, one on the way. I've got grandchildren. Whatever. I love you all very much. I do. I love you all very much. But I can't, I can't imagine myself allowing one of my grandchildren or children to be sacrificed for your sins, your problem. You, you created that bed. You, say it with me, you lie in it. But God says... I love you even when you are disobedient and rebellious to me. I'm still going to offer you a way out. Now, Jesus is in this unlikely plan. And the next part of this rescue story is the difficult obstacle. And for Jesus, it's facing death. For the boats going to Dunkirk, you know, it's this, is there any way... <laughs> They see this large ship, they see bombs exploding, they see fire, they see planes, they see people, guys dying in the ocean. Is there any way we're going to make any difference? I mean, we're just a boat. We're just a little bitty boat. I mean, is there any way? Yet, they did not turn back. They sailed towards the destruction. They had a moment of clarity. And I think some of the most clearest moments in our lives, in my life certainly, is when I'm faced with a, like one of those life and death, do I do this? Or do I not do this? It's like everything, all the, all the stuff goes away. And they, they had this moment of clarity to not turn back. There was a similar scene in Jesus' life. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's written about quite a bit in the Gospels. Uh, in Matthew 26, on the night that Jesus was going to be arrested, he has this, this moment of wrestling whether he's going to stay the course and father the father's will or turn back. And he begs the father, he says, is there any other way? And then he comes to the conclusion, there is no other way. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And so fully aware that he was going to face death, Jesus does not turn back. And he, he, he's going to allow himself to be ridiculed, mocked, scourged, abandoned, and then nailed to a cross. That's a clutch moment. There are moments that define our lives. And this certainly defined Jesus's. And the, those guys in those boats sailing to Dunkirk. If you ask them when they're old and gray, what's the most significant moment in your life? It would have been that moment. It had been that time when they chose to get in their boats and go rescue people. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John come with Jesus, and he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was, he was sweating drops of blood. The sorrow of suffering death, like on the cross, actually almost killed him in the moment. Like grief can kill people, right? People can be so overwhelmed, they, they can literally think themselves to death. And Jesus is, he, he, he says, going a little farther, we read that he fell 
on his face to the ground, he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's still wrestling, still wrestling with that clutch moment. But he made the decision for the cross, which would lead to our rescue. His cross takes away the guilt and shame, the, 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 the penalty of transgression against us falls upon him. All right? First part of the gospel. And then, because he lived a perfect, righteous life, he died a criminal's death. Although he was totally innocent, he gets to escape physical death and walk out. Now, the most documented fact in all history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's more evidence that Jesus lived and died and walked out of the tomb than George Washington was our first president. You just got to know this. This is a fact. And your faith is at least based on this much fact, all right? That Jesus hung on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and walked out under his own power after death. Death could not hold him. And so this is our glorious rescue. Paul talks about this, Ephesians 2. And God raised up, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is present tense. Did you notice? I know you say right now, where are you sitting? I'm sitting in a blue chair in a Cornerstone in Chatham. But spiritually, you're seated with Christ. Spiritually, we're on a mission. Spiritually, we have uh, received the first uh, inheritance, part of his, his spirit in us, his forgiveness, in us, his mercy, his grace, the spirit that empowers us to speak, to, to love, to forgive, to, to, to come up with uh, ways to reach people. For it, has been great, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace is, charis means gift. In Greek, charis, it means gift. It's you've been given grace. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't work for it, right? Faith always requires obedience. This is not faith. Listen to me now. This is not faith. I believe in God. That's not faith. The demons, James says, another follower of Jesus, his half-brother, James says, even the demons say that. To say, I believe in God is not faith. Faith is stepping across the canyon when you can't see the bridge. Faith is putting your trust in Jesus when you don't know how it's going to work out. Faith always implies obedience, and saving faith requires trusting in Him, even though we don't fully understand it. We come to the position like, okay, I will trust you. I don't understand, but I will trust you. The greatest rescue of all time is found in the scripture. Dunkirk, another great rescue, is, is, is knowing that, that there's a possibility that dynamo might work. There's a possibility that there might be some type of rescue, but having no idea that there would be enough courage of the, of the sailors with these small crafts around uh, that, that big island, you know, Great Britain, that would come. And there's this climactic scene in the movie that just celebrates this plan.
home. in their fishing trawlers and their pleasure craft and headed to rescue their countrymen stranded on a beach. I mean, you can feel it, right? You're watching. I know. I know there's a guy, there's a guy right here right now, and I'm one of them, but there's a guy, there's a guy club right now. We're all pushing back to tears. I'm not going to cry. I cried at Old Geller, and I was embarrassed ever since. I'm not crying. Come on, man. It's so, it's, I mean, we love rescue. We love it. Because we're created by God and we know life matters and we know that God is the only way that leads us out. And we only perform rescues because of Christ's love. Because Jesus said, right, greater is no love than a man lay down his life for another. And then he went and died on the cross. And we're like, wow, I want that, I want that great love. You know, I, I, and so, so here we have in this story, you know, hope is reborn when they see all these, 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 these craft. When 400,000 men couldn't go home, home came for them. 933 vessels took part on that, that rescue mission. 236 craft were lost, either sunk or torpedoed or whatever 338,000 men survived now that scene of deliverance that we just watched reminds me of a passage that John wrote in the book of Revelation he says after this I looked and there was before me this great multitude that no one could count from every tribe from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches, which is a symbol of victory, okay? And in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, here we go, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We win. In case you haven't figured it out, there's only one way to win. It's in Jesus and we win. There is no power that can destroy you. Only Christ can save you. We win. And Paul says, this is this, uh, he gives us this glimpse of what, what's going to be the most unimaginable celebration of all time. Now, all the threats, listen to me. All the dive bombers that are coming into your life right now, into your soul, into your marriage, into your adult children's lives, into your brother's life, your sister's life, your grandparents, all, all the destruction that's going on. I want you to know something. Christ promises victory to everyone who will trust in Him. There is a way off that beachhead, but there is only one way. And it seems unlikely. It seems like there is no way this is going to work out. I'm telling you, we have a promise, and it's based on all these facts that we see in history that God keeps His promises especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we win. And God wants that victory for every one of us. So, you and I have to decide to get in the boat to be saved, right? I mean, it would have been ridiculous for a soldier on that beachhead said, uh, no, waiting on a plane, waiting on a helicopter, right? Not even been invented yet, well... There were some disastrous moments of helicopter travel at that time. But, you know, I mean, think about it. There would have been, that would, we'd have looked at that guy and say, you're, you're, you know, give him a sedative. We're going to throw him on there, right? Well, we're not going to do that to you today. <laughs> Although I've thought about it. The communion, no, I'm sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm kind of wet. I, I must have been baptized. What? What happened? No, we're not going to do that. So, here's what I'm trying to say. The rescue boat is Christ's cross and His resurrection, right? His cross has intercepted all the bombs of destruction. And His resurrection has proven that He can save. Are you ready to begin your journey home from a hopeless beachhead? If you've not been baptized into Christ, that's a good place to start. Listen to what Peter says to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built in it. Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look. The water lifted the ark from destruction below. Those men escaped the beachhead by stepping into those boats, and the water carried them safely home to shore. This is the analogy that uh, Peter is giving us here in the Scripture, is that it's through the waters that we're rescued from the destruction. If you've never been immersed into Christ, why won't you get in the boat. You have to make that decision. We can't make it for you. This is a very important decision. It does not mean that you have it all figured out. 
because faith requires doubt. So you're going to have some doubts. And you're going to have some like, I don't know if this is going to work out. But if you trust the Lord, He will bring you safely home. Those English soldiers escaped the destruction at Dunkirk by boat. Noah saved his family. There might have been a million people on the earth, maybe as high as two, three million people on the earth. They couldn't be convinced to get in the boat. They died. They suffered destruction. Noah and only his family. I mean, I get it that not everybody's going to buy in. I get it. Jesus said, few is, you know, narrow is the way, few find it. But I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging with you. I'm, I'm, I'm making a fool of myself to try and get you to make this decision. Because it's the foolishness of preaching, right? Well, some of you are like, yeah, he really is a fool. Now, there's another thing about this boat thing. For you who are saved, you have to decide to get in the boat. Because you and I all know people who don't know the way home. And you're like, I, I, I can't talk. Yeah, yes, yes, you can. Sit and watch Dunkirk, and when you get done, you say, let me tell you about the greatest rescue story of all time. There's four parts of a rescue. There's this terrible situation, right? Uh, there's this unlikely hero. There's this difficult circumstances, and there's a rescue. I mean, you can do that, right? I know you can do it. You tell people about your stories all the time. You tell people about movies all the time. I know you can do this. You have to decide to get in the boat and be part of the rescue. You cannot sit on your thumbs. This is not part of the plan. Some of you are like, hey, man, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That is not what it's about. The book of Acts does not mention heaven. The book of Acts talks about the kingdom of God being established in city after city after city and people group after people group after people group. It is about going to rescue others once we ourselves are rescued. I bet there were some people in Great Britain who said something like, my boat will never make it. Or I, I, I can't take the risk. This is our livelihood. Uh, you know, I, we, I support my family by this fishing vessel. If, if I don't make it, who's going to take care of my wife and kids? And then after the rescue, the most celebrated rescue in war history, how do you think those people felt? You and I have an opportunity to bring life to the dying. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would be getting our boats to go rescue or getting in the boat to be saved. Whichever side of this coin we're on today, I, I pray, Father, that we would take it super seriously and that we understand that these, these kinds of stories that are celebrated and, 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 and talked about in our culture, that, that we would certainly want to uh, be part of God's plan. And we see these stories as a reflection of what every soul yearns for, rescue. Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. And Father, it's going to come to us, this saving is going to come to us in the most unlikely way. I pray, Father, that everyone would believe and obey. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.